Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Outfield is so great that we need two episodes to cover the position. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank Stanfield here with Scott White and Chris Towers. It is July 6th. We are 17 days away from opening day. Hopefully. The Nationals versus the Yankees. Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer. Scott, what's going on, man? How was your July 4th weekend? It was great. It was great. Yeah. Got a little sun. It looks like you did too, Frank. Oh, gosh. Another, Way too much sun. One of the oh my benefits of being on YouTube. Everybody gets to see your, your lobsterish appearance. Oh, my God. You don't want to see anything like under this shirt right now. I'm just going to like, you kind of see my neck here. This is why you need to watch on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. But I did go to the beach yesterday, social distance, had the mask, everything. Um, and it was like 90 to 5 degrees yesterday in New York. So I applied sunscreen twice. I still turned out looking like this. I, I don't feel great. My shoulders are crispy bacon right now. Uh, Chris Towers, you are here as well. It wasn't just July 4th this weekend. No. It was Chris's birthday. Happy birthday to you. There you go, Chris. Uh, we just only played a little bit of it. Yes, it was my birthday. Uh, Happy birthday, buddy. And, you know, I, I definitely love uh, celebrating my birthday. It's not a thing that causes me a lot of stress when everybody's like, oh, what do you want? What do you want to do? What do you want to do? And it's just like, just please leave me alone. Somebody decide for me. I don't want to. Uh, but I did get a new guitar. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see half of it here. Uh, it's very pretty. And uh, that's it. That's absolutely it. I did not go to the beach. I don't. barely went outside. Don't do it. Don't go outside. Don't go to the beach. I hate the beach. Extremely Anakin Skywalker voice. <laughs> I hate sand. It's rough and coarse. Uh, that is, I, I completely co-sign Anakin Skywalker's feelings about the uh, relative merits of sand. I mentioned we're obviously going to do our outfield preview 2.0 part one today. That's a mouthful and interesting to say. <laughs> uh, but before we do that, there was a lot of news and notes from over the weekend. Typically, we don't want to do this on our position preview, but there's a lot to get to, so we are going to talk about that first and foremost. And we're getting a lot of COVID-positive test results back. We are getting players opting out as well. We spoke about a few of those players last week, Scott, but perhaps none of them had the same clout, the same status as David Price, who did opt out of the 2020 season this past weekend. Scott, how does that affect things in the Dodgers rotation? Who do you think can jump in? As of now, roster resource has Ross Stripling stepping in as the fifth starter for the Dodgers. Yeah, friend of the show, Ross Stripling, right? We had a good conversation with him during the shutdown. And uh, the way he puts it, he he was told he he was he was disappointed when the rotation was filled out so early in spring training. They announced Julio 
Arias in the fourth spot, Alex Wood in the fifth spot. He had a conversation with his manager and GM, and they, they basically told him he'd be the next one up. So, you know, he's – they're not committing to him yet. So that's – um you know, there seems to be a little bit of a disagreement there. And and I, I don't know, maybe Ross Stripling has the leg up. He was an all-star as a starter in 2018. Uh, his numbers the last two years are really good. 322 ERA, 117 whip, 9.7 K per nine. He says he'd be ready to throw six innings from day one, which a lot of pitchers are saying. Honestly, that's that's another interesting sidebar, some of the news this weekend. Um but of course they have Dustin May there who is a top prospect who pitched very well down the stretch and usually prospects of his stature who make that kind of first impression. They're, they're shoe-ins for a rotation spot. It's kind of surprising. He doesn't have one already. Tony Gonsolin, another exciting rookie there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm less, I, I think it'll be one of stripling in May. I'm moving them both up to some degree, but this also kind of bolsters my, uh, my enthusiasm for Alex Wood and Julio Arias now, because with less rotation surplus, there's, there's less chance they're going to fall into that piggyback scenario where they're only going four or five innings every time. Uh, You know, they might, the Dodgers need them for more length now without David Price being there. Yeah, I think that's very well said. It wouldn't surprise me if we see Stripling and Dustin May in that piggyback role now where one of those guys goes three innings. The other one follows another three innings. You know, maybe they do get Tony Gonsolin in that mix. Uh, Jimmy Nelson still on this team remains to be seen, you know, how they're going to use him yet. Uh, but yeah, I think that was uh, very well said. I think you should be boosting guys like Arias and Alex Wood up your draft board as well. Um, the latest news that we have, literally just before we started recording again, Monday, July 6th, was that Joey Gallo just tested positive for COVID uh, of the Texas Rangers, and he is asymptomatic as of now, and he will be quarantined. Um, but we also got some other positive tests in the first round of testing over the weekend. 38 positive COVID tests. It was a 1.2% positive rate where, look, ideally in a perfect world, we would have zero positive results. But 1.2%, that's about as good as it can get. So, And that 38 includes staff and, and coaches, yes, right? I believe yeah. it was 31 players and seven staff members. Yeah, they, they tested like 3,100 people total. Yeah, and that included Freddie Freeman, who tested positive. Uh, Gallo, as I mentioned, DJ LeMayhew. Aaron Noel is an interesting one because I saw earlier today that he's actually at Philly's camp. So did he test yeah. positive? Did he not test positive? Well, he, he was put on the... The, the the Phillies had a few players who were put on the COVID-19 IL, which doesn't necessarily mean they tested positive themselves. Okay. Um, so they might yeah, have, he might have had some. Neris has showed up at camp since then. He was one we talked about uh, Friday. And uh, Aaron Nola was actually throwing today. So it, it sounds like he's he's in the clear for that, which is, of course, good news for him and, and his value. And, yeah, it sounds like Aaron Nola's back. A few other names worth mentioning. Tommy Pham, Salvador Perez, and Miguel Sano also tested positive this weekend. Masahiro Tanaka has a mild concussion. Uh, Chris, we are going to talk about Giancarlo Stanton today, your favorite player, but he continues to do nothing right. He hit a line drive right off of Tanaka's head, and it was actually a pretty scary moment. I would say the fact that Tanaka just walked away with a mild concussion here, I think he should consider himself pretty lucky. Yeah, and it was... um... It was a scary moment. James Paxton actually pitched next in that uh, simulated game and pitched behind an L net, uh, whatever it's called. So, you know, that, that's definitely something that you don't um, 
you never want to see. It sounds like, you know, Tanaka does have a mild concussion. Uh, sounds like the, the effects of that are pretty limited right now. But, you know, I did see one Yankees beat writer report or, or note that, you know, Clint Frazier had a mild concussion in spring training of 2018 and he missed like two months. And so this is the thing with concussions is we never know exactly uh, how the recovery process is going to be. He could be back in seven days um, or he could be, you know, out for a long time. And it's just kind of until we get further along in the process, you know, we don't really know, but we will get, we will get updates on it. You know, MLB does have a, a specific concussion protocol. So, so we should know something in the next you know week or so. Should we talk about Freddie Freeman a little more? Um, as So apparently Freddie Freeman, Freddie Freeman's positive test apparently was part of why Nick Markakis decided to opt out, which was announced today on Monday. Uh, mm-hmm. He said in talking to Freddie Freeman, it made him realize how serious this is. And it, it does, um, you know, it does sound like Freddie Freeman is having, you know, perhaps more severe symptoms than, than your typical player in his situation. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't know for sure who is, you know, it's, it's not always revealed with these positive tests if the player's symptomatic or not, but uh, Freeman, um, first of all, he's, he's the highest profile player to, to have a positive test and it happens to be, we know it happens to be symptomatic. Um, yeah. So, and, and he was, there were reports that he was feeling, you know, a little better Sunday. So hopefully he'll come out of it pretty quickly, but um, like that combination of being symptomatic of being the most high end player to get it. Like this is a guy people are drafting in round two and should they, uh, based on what we know right now, I, I I don't I don't think that I don't think it's I think that seems like a big risk. I mean, I think ultimately the way you have to to balance this is if you're drafting now, July sixth or July seventh or July eighth, when you know early on, um, I I think you are maybe a little more wary of these guys. But as we get closer to the season, you know, we should get more updates. We should get more, um, you know, clarity on who will be available to start the season. But this is just, it's a, it's a huge uh, unknown variable that we're dealing with. And it's, it's really hard to say uh, exactly how to approach it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a scary topic. And we've talked about this. Adam talked about this on the show and he struggles with it on, on the football podcast as well, because, you know, Look, we're talking about a fantasy game when there's much more at stake here than just fantasy baseball, right? It's, you know, hopefully Freddie Freeman is healthy and comes out of this okay. And so it's it's kind of weird. And we are acknowledging that to be talking about, you know, players for fantasy and where they should be drafting amidst a pandemic and while players are testing positive for COVID. But it, it is something that we, we do need to address. And uh, yeah, look, I would say push your drafts back as close to the start of the season, July 23rd, as you possibly can. Uh, but if you're drafting now, I, th- I think that you, you probably do have to have some concern over, over drafting Freddie Freeman. And I, I think with that, it's a good way to kind of transition into outfield because we continue to get questions regarding Mike Trout and the top five picks in fantasy baseball leagues pretty much across the board, at least by ADP, are all outfielders. Mike Trout, 1.6. Ronald Acuna, 1.6. Christian Yelich, 3.0. Cody Bellinger, 4.0. 
Mookie Betts 5.6. Those are your top five picks in ADP. And Scott, the latest report involving Mike Trout says that he is on the fence in terms of playing this season and will, quote, play it by ear. We know that he has a wife that is due in August. Is is he going to be able to just go on a normal paternity leave and come back and, and everything will be okay? Or will he need to quarantine? So we have all these questions, and because of that, it seems like Mike Trout's status is up in the air. So we're talking about Freddie Freeman. I think we have to have Trout in this discussion. Do we start to move him down? I know I asked you guys last week and maybe even two weeks ago, but I think it's a little bit more serious now, Scott. Yeah, I, I actually don't read as much into his comments as it seems like a lot of people are. I mean, he says, if there's an outbreak, you definitely have to reconsider. I mean, he, he says the sorts of things where if you put pressed any player, they, they would probably say the same thing. It, he, you know, he's... The level of concern he expresses doesn't rise to the level of like a Sean Doolittle for me. But, um, you know, one thing that... I have thought about with Trout is, you know, he's obviously going to leave for the birth of his child whenever that happens. And he'll have to go. Actually, Zach Wheeler brought this up um, because his wife is due basically around the start of the season. And uh, he he thought he'd miss at least two starts because you have to factor in not just the time away, but the intake process. Now, the intake process, it, it, you know, obviously there, there was, uh, um, you know, it went very slowly for some teams this weekend. Like some teams still aren't able to work out yet because they don't have all the test results back. Uh, but for the teams that it did work out well for, you're still talking about two or three days usually. So that's how much, like half a week almost of, uh, of getting, going through intake again and, and being cleared to play again. So if, you know, I'm assuming when Zach Wheeler brought it up, he was talking about three days for, paternity leave, seven days for family medical leave, and then intake. And that's how you arrive at at least two starts. You know, you're talking about at least two weeks at that point. I don't know if Trout's thinking the same way in terms of missing 10 days or in in terms of missing three for just the standard parental leave. I I don't know. I don't think he'd reveal that. But it's if you're talking about missing a week or more from a a nine-and-a-half-week season, like that, regardless of opting out, that's that's reason I think to con- at least consider dropping him to the bottom of that top five or at least behind like Christian Yelich. Yeah, and that's something that I would do, especially in a roto league, Scott. I mean, we both have Acuna, Trout, and Yelich for the same auction price, $42. If they're going for the same price and you don't have the same level of concern or any level of doubt whatsoever over Acuna and Yelich, I think you have to at least drop Trout behind those other two and I think you can argue that you should drop him behind Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. So, Chris, what do you think? Where would you draft Mike Trout right now? Uh, I would have a hard time if I picked fifth and he was there to not take him. Um, yeah, I, I definitely understand. But would you the take concerns. the other four ahead of him? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's probably the safer way to go, I guess, if you have to look at it that way. Scott, uh, so if you are choosing between Acuna and Yelich in Roto, who are you going with? Acuna. Acuna, yeah. I uh, I came to this determination months ago after initially being someone who insisted Trout had to go first overall. Obviously, this was pre-pandemic world. We were talking about that. Uh, but Acuna, just because like all five of those guys will help some in steals, but Acuna will help the most, and he will help 
I think the most assuredly too. Like he'll he'll give the most, and you can be most confident he'll be an asset in that stolen base category, which is something that you pretty much have to fill in the early rounds without taking a real hit in some other area. Uh, so just to have that taken care of, you know, f- from your very first pick, a guy you know is going to give you a ton of power numbers too. Uh, in a in a traditional five by five league, I, I think I've, I've came around to the idea that that's the way you you have to go. Obviously, it changes in a points league. Acuna isn't even in my top five in a points league because of plate discipline issues. But for the steals, yeah, I'll take him first overall in roto. So does that make Yelich the number one player in a head to head points league, Scott? I guess so. I mean, this is the first time I'm really talking about moving Trout down. But yeah, I guess that's where. I guess that's where I am with that. So I, I do want to point out, you know, in uh, Rota scoring last year, Ronald Cunha was the number one player. Christian Elch was number two, even though he only played 131 games. Basically missed a, missed a fifth of the season. Um, and it was really close by my measure. Uh, you know, I have basically the, the score for Acuna is 19.98. Uh, the score for Christian Elch is 19.65. Number three was Cody Bellinger he was further away from Christian Yelich than Christian Yelich was from Acuna. And again, that was with him missing, you know, playing 25 fewer games. If you put everyone on the same scale, Christian Yelich was the best player in fantasy last year um, by a substantial margin. Like the gap between him and number two on a per game basis, which was Fernando Tatis is the same as the gap between Fernando Tatis and looks like that would be, Rafael Devers at number 15. That's on a per game basis. Wow. So obviously that doesn't mean Christian Yelts is going to do it again, but you know, it, I think the question comes down to whether Christian Yelts is going to steal. Yep. If he were, yep. you know, he was leading the NL in home runs and stolen bases when he got hurt. He went 30 uh, of 32 on the base paths in terms and of you steals. Can't, yeah. You can't expect that kind of efficiency ever again. Like that's outrageously efficient, but if he's still going to run at a high pace, he's probably the number one player. I just have, I have more confidence that Ronald Acuna is going to run mm. at that level than I do Christian Yelich. Yeah, that was the the assuredly point I brought up. Most assuredly, a base stealer because it was a career high for Yelich, and he's coming back from a fractured kneecap. I I don't know I don't know what impact that's really going to have, but it it's worth pointing out it was the same injury that Jose Altuve had. And, you know, once he came back from it, he basically stopped running. Could have just been a coincidence, but could, could have been a decision. Like, I, I don't want to risk my knees anymore if I don't have to. But, you know, Yelich could make that same decision. Like, Acuna batting leadoff, stealing bases is just one of the many things he does. And uh, you don't have to have any concerns about that with him. Acuna, 41 home runs and 37 steals in his age 21 season last year. He was third in baseball with 127 runs scored. Uh, Yelich, I don't think we have any doubts over, you know, he's done it two years in a row now. So I think we pretty much trust, yes, while he has a an incredibly high home run to fly ball ratio, he's done it two years in a row. So he, He's always had an incredibly high home run to fly ball yeah. ratio. Even back when he wasn't hitting a lot of home runs. You know, he was always in a 20% kind of range uh, for home run to fly ball ratio. I actually think he might be a little safer as a power hitter than Ronald Acuna. Um, you know, you look at what they did last season, Ronald Acuna, in, as, a, as a rookie, Ronald Acuna had the same number of home runs as doubles, 26 each. Last season, he had 22 doubles, 41 home runs. You actually, 
when you look at Ronald Acuna, you know, overall he was actually a slightly worse hitter than uh, his rookie season. He only had an 883 OPS last year, and that's because the the total number of extra base hits wasn't exactly all that high. If some of those home runs turn into doubles, which I think is more likely than not, uh, you know, he might be more of like a 35 homer pace guy, whereas Christian Yelich, he, he hit 44 in 131 games last season. Scott, in 30 seconds or left, you're on the board at pick, let's say, three now because we're moving Trout down. You're taking Mookie Betts or Cody Bellinger. Give it to me in both formats. It's Bellinger in both formats. I just think... I just think uh, what he, I think the upside he showed last year um, was a little more convincing than the upside Betts showed in a couple of his best years. And Betts isn't coming off his best season. He had kind of a down season. Um, certainly more power is there for Bellinger. And with Betts kind of dropping off as a steel source and now going to a team that isn't big on stolen bases and the Dodgers. I'm not sure how big the steals advantage bets will have is. And I, I think in terms of batting average, it's, it's basically a wash. Uh, I, I could see maybe taking bets ahead of Bellinger in a points league because bets hardly, you know, bets doesn't strike out much, but you know, then again, Bellinger, I guess stopped striking out so much too last year. So yeah, I'll definitely go Bellinger over bets. I think Chris, that was longer than 30 seconds. Sorry. Chris, you are team Bellinger over bets too, right? Yeah, but I, I I think ultimately it's like a slightly weighted coin flip, you know, like 55, 45 or something like that. Um, if you end up with bets, you should still feel really, really good about your team. Can't disagree with that. The late first round of ADP is basically Juan Soto Island. He's the only outfielder that's going in this range. His ADP is 11.2. Last year, he was the sixth best outfielder in both head-to-head points and in Roto. He was a top 16 player in both formats overall. He has a 937 OPS over his first 1,153 plate appearances. He can hit both righties and lefties. He's really the total package. Scott, I've got to ask, when it comes to Soto, where do you kind of lump him in with the other hitters that are going around that range? Guys like Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, and let's even throw Jose Ramirez in that mix. If you had to insert Juan Soto somewhere among those players, where would he rank? I have him 15th overall in Roto, which would be ahead of, uh, right ahead of Jose Ramirez, um, but well behind like Bregman and Lindor, who I have going in the middle of round one. I, I, I'm kind of on the lower side for Juan Soto, I think, relative to the industry as a whole, because it's kind of, for him to justify where he's going on average, he has to improve yet again. The numbers aren't quite there supporting yep. uh supporting his adp and i think it was 12 for 12 in steals last year so i'm still not sure how much of a contributor he's really going to be for that obviously what he's done at this stage of his career is very impressive and downside wise like there is i don't see much downside there at all it's a very different situation from like fernando tatis who's also unproven but you know in terms of batting average home run expectations. Um, like I'm not sure. I'm not sure Juan Soto really even deserves to be ahead of like JD Davis as far as that goes. But you know, I rank him ahead of Davis. I'm sorry, JD Martinez. I was about to say JD. <laughs> is going like 15 uh, rounds think, later. But I rank him ahead of Martinez. Too, <laughs> ultimately just. 
that I, I think part of the, the inflation there is one, he's 21 years old. He couldn't drink alcohol until I think the world series last year, he couldn't participate in the champagne celebrations. Um, I think partially it's that. And then partially he went 12 for 13 in stolen bases last season. I think people look at him and say, well, he'll give you something in stolen bases. I'm not so sure. Uh, obviously 12 for 13 is a really, really difficult number to sustain. He wasn't nearly that efficient as a base stealer in the minors. He's not exactly uh, a speedster. And so, you know, once you start looking at it that way, you know, maybe eight stolen bases was probably, you know, eight to nine stolen bases was probably a more realistic outcome. And then, you know, add in that it's a, sm- a shortened season. So those are going to be kind of, you know, those could be bunchy and there could be a stretch where he just doesn't steal any bases. What do you have him for, Chris? Three or four steals? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would make, that makes a big difference. Uh, no, I, I just, you know, you do look at his months, his monthly log and it's, Three zero two three four zero. So if you get that May to June run where he had zero and two, all of a sudden he really is, you know, legitimately a nothing in that category in a way that um, makes it pretty hard to get excited about him when it comes to stolen bases. And, you know, on a per game basis last year in Roto, he was actually the number 27 hitter. He was number 15 overall, 27 on per game basis. And so, like Scott said, he is being drafted to take another step forward, and he absolutely could be. He's young enough, and you know Frank and I have him in the Hall of Fame already. <laughs> That's um, right. But, yeah, I, I have a harder time. I don't think I've drafted him at all this season, actually. I'm I don't think I have either. Probably more bullish on him in a points league. I mean, his walk rate is just so ridiculous. Again, as a... Tw- He wasn't even 21, a 16% walk rate or better each of his first two seasons. So 3.9 fantasy points per game last year. In terms of outfielders points per game last year, it goes Yelich, Trout, Bellinger, then George Springer actually bets. So you got the top four there leaving Acuna out and then Soto. Soto's actually ahead of Acuna in points per game last year. And actually, like I want to say, like, if it sounds like we're down on Juan Soto. I'm not. You guys might like, be a little bit more, you know, down on him than I am. I'm definitely not down on Juan Soto. Like, I want to say, like, Juan Soto <laughs> is, like, Juan Soto is the kind of player who sh- should not exist. Like, a <laughs> young left-handed hitter who is this good, who has this good of plate discipline, who hits lefties this well at as a 20, as a 19 and 20-year-old, like, that is basically unprecedented. He is one of arguably the best young hitter in Major League Baseball history. But you have to pay it's the price just, to get him. For fantasy, I think it's probably a little early to have him ranked as high as he is. Rounds two and three in ADP. J.D. Martinez going off the board at pick 22. Bryce Harper, one pick later at 23. Starling Marte, 28.8. So an early really to mid-third round pick. And then Charlie Blackman at 35.6. He is a late third round pick. Uh, Scott, between J.D. Martinez and Bryce Harper, who do you prefer... In both formats. Something I noticed over J.D. Martinez. Let me know if this matters at all to you, Scott. Last year, a 1381 OPS versus lefties. 793 versus right-handed pitching. That was his lowest since 2013, back when he was on the Astros. Before he was the J.D. Martinez we would come to know and love for fantasy. Do these splits matter at all for you when it comes to J.D. Martinez? I sometimes see splits, like when when a player starts to struggle against the same-handed pitcher. Um 
you sometimes associate that with age and, and Martinez is 32. Now I have to admit, I hadn't noticed it. So this is the first I'm considering it for him. But the, the thing for me with Martinez is like his expected stats last year were very similar across the board. Like he got off to a slow start and it kind of kept his season long numbers down from the first round range that we had gotten used to seeing him the previous, previous couple years. But I mean, it, it, like he's still profiled very similar to uh, to 2018, 2017 when he performed more like a first round pick. That's the ball very hard. It makes all the kind of contact you want to see uh, from an elite hitter. And so that's still how I'm regarding him. Yes, the 32, it's getting into a range with the age where it's starting to get a little worrisome, but I don't see like that that split there on its own, especially with the batted ball, pro, batted ball profile still looking so strong. That's not enough to really raise an alarm for me for Martinez. And I think he's actually maybe being a little undervalued. I, I don't draft him as much as I'd like because I'm looking at starting pitcher in this range so often, but I like the value for Martinez this year. Chris, I haven't heard your thoughts. I'm not sure at all, really, throughout the past couple of months on on Bryce Harper, who got off to a really slow start his first season with the Phillies. The first two months, he hit 248 with a 30% strikeout rate. From June 1st on, he hit 267 with a 23.6% strikeout rate. So lowered those strikeouts uh, and had 25 home runs with a 903 OPS from June 1st on. To put that in perspective, Cody Bellinger in that same time frame hit 262 with a 933 OPS, 27 home runs. So the same time period, Bryce Harper just hit two less home runs, actually had a better batting average. His OPS was 30 points lower. How do you feel about Bryce Harper, Scott? Uh, Chris, rather. He's excellent. Like, There's not really, like, he's another guy who I haven't necessarily drafted a ton of, um, but it's not because I'm avoiding him. It's just usually, you know, when I get to that point in the draft, I'm usually looking to take a starting pitcher, usually Patrick Corbin uh, in that range. And so, you know, he hasn't been someone that I've ended up with too many times, but there's really nothing wrong with his profile. Like if the, if the Phillies are going to let him steal, you know, 15 to 20 bases a year, like they did, you know, last year he had 18 attempts, 15 of them steals. Um, you know, I, I think he's probably better than 260 batting average. I think, you know, there, there is positive regression coming from him and his expected while, batting average was 279 last year. So, right. I, and, and I think, you know, there were there have been weird things going on with Bryce Harper the last couple of years where like he's been especially susceptible to the shift. He's uh, you know seen that strikeout rate really fluctuate and, and you know really go up over the last couple of seasons before you know last year starting to trend down. If he can sustain that improvement uh, in strikeout rate from the second half of last year, yeah, you're you're looking at a potential first rounder, and I think he's a fine value where he's going. Scott, did you answer? Would you rather have uh, Martinez or Harper in both formats? It's Martinez in both formats. I, like I said, I think he's still capable of first round production. I mean, I mean, he hit 304 with 36 homers, 105 RBI, 98 runs last year, and we're talking it was, about it like it's a down season. For Martinez, it was basically he didn't hit for much power in the first half, but there was yeah. no explanation for it. Like right. it wasn't like the exit velocity was down. He just had a weird couple of months to start the season, and then he was immediately that guy we've come to know and love. And Harper, I mean, he was looking like a modest base dealer again, so he has that advantage, at least in uh, in Roto League. But I'm, you know, I, I think we've seen enough now to know he's going to fall more in that 260, 270 range with batting average than, you know, put up, put up MVP caliber numbers like he has in the past. 
Starling Marte, I mentioned, is going so slightly after these guys and is someone who can actually help you out in the scarce category, specifically in Roto. He gives you batting average. He will give you steals. Um, and he actually was pretty good in points leagues last year for the first time ever. I mean, he just improved as a hitter across the board in his age 30 season, no less. 3.7 fantasy points per game. That was tied for 10th with J.D. Martinez. So I've got to ask, Scott, why doesn't Starling Marte get more love. He averaged the same fantasy points per game as J.D. Martinez. I think you could actually argue he's a better Roto player than J.D. Yeah. Martinez. I mean, certainly, we talk a lot about how Carlos Santana is kind of like the face of, of points leagues, like the player who most clearly distinguishes himself in that format. And that's what Starling Marte always was to me in Roto leagues prior to last year when he achieved new heights as a power hitter. But... um. He, he he didn't run like we're used to seeing last year. I mean, he he and he and he's getting to an age where you know you wonder how long that's going to be. You know how much of that profile, about how much of his profile that base ceiling is still going to be. Um, you know, a guy on a twenty five twenty five kind of pace with a good batting average is an asset for sure in roto leagues, but it's not. It's not somebody who's going to rise to the level of like a like a first round pick, like JD Martinez is capable of doing. Like to me, it puts Starling Marte, you know, somewhere in between JD Martinez and like Tommy Pham, who of course goes several rounds later. Um, yeah, I just I don't see him as a top flight outfield. I don't outfielder. I don't think he has that kind of upside. But certainly, if you're looking to take care of two scarce categories early. Starling Marte is a player who's going to help you with that. Chris, Charlie Blackman was a top 12 outfielder in both formats still last year in both Roto and head-to-head points leagues. He actually averaged 3.8 fantasy points per game, so he was slightly better than both Starling Marte and J.D. Martinez, who we just talked about. Uh, The steals are trending down. We know that 17, 14, 12, and then last year it was just two, but still scores a lot of runs, still... It's for a very high batting average. We know the splits. Like He hits much better at home in Coors Field. Uh, and then on top of that, he did test positive for COVID back on June 23rd when it was reported. So are you still comfortable taking him in this third round range? Should you should you drop him a little bit because of his COVID positive test? What no, do you think? I, I wouldn't drop him. And Charlie Blackman is a really good example of why uh, you should not just look at an older player coming off a down season and say, well, this is the beginning of the end. Sometimes a down season is just that, you know, guys have down seasons, Charlie Blackman. I mean, you know, we talked about JD Martinez coming off a down season and it was still this amazing season. Charlie Blackman was in the same boat in 2018. He hit 291 with 29 homers and 119 runs last season. You know, he was still, or 2018. Yeah, he did that in 2018. He was still really good. And then the thing I definitely have questions about, how good of a hitter Charlie Blackman actually is at this point in his career. But those questions just don't matter <laughs> because he has course field. And as long yeah. as he has course field, the floor is really, really high. You know, maybe, I mean, God, maybe the bottom falls out and he's just a disaster to the point where course field can't help him. But I have a lot of doubts that that's going to happen because we haven't seen it yet. Um, and so, yeah, I think Charlie Blackman is a great, uh, great fantasy pick at this cost. And um, 
you know, likely yeah. to be at least a four category contributor. And maybe the stolen bases come back a little bit. Maybe it's a 10 steal pace rather than, you know, a two steals or whatever he had last season. I'm really surprised he's going 36th overall on average now because so often he's available in round four in these expert leagues that we do. And that's just like, that that feels like easy money when you can get Charlie Blackman, somebody who's so consistently ranked as a first rounder in fantasy. And, you know, other than the steals, yeah, with the way he bounced back last year, there's really been no drop off. You won't find a more consistent source of batting average and runs scored, by the way, over 110 runs scored in four straight years. And, you know, also a guy who, who, who won't set you back in the power categories at all. So, like, yeah, that's – I love the value for Charlie Blackman. I wish I had more shares of him. Over the last four seasons that you just mentioned, Scott, 479 runs scored are second most in baseball behind Mookie Betts. His 315 batting average during that same span is third best behind only Jose Altuve and DJ LeMahieu. Scott, real quick, would you take Blackman over both George Springer and Cattell Marte? Oh man, um, I think that's how I. Ra- I think I have him ranked ahead of both. Let me double check that. Charlie Black. No, I have Cattell Marte ranked ahead, probably just because he's second base eligible, and that's uh, you know obviously one of the weaker positions. I go Cattell Marte, Charlie Blackman, George Springer with those. All right, let's promote a few things, and then we'll take a quick break. Make sure you subscribe to our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We already talked about it at the top of the show. You could see me. I look like a lobster, a dancing lobster. Yes, it's hilarious. You can watch it on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Uh, the link is in the podcast description. If you just go on YouTube and search Fantasy Baseball Today, you will see the channel pop up. And also a reminder, yes, you can catch us on all of your favorites, favorite podcast platforms, but specifically on Spotify podcast, we have playlists set up for all of our position previews. We have a position preview playlist as well as a mock draft playlist. So whether you want to hear about any of the drafts we've done or any of our position previews, you want to go back and listen to the position previews that Adam did with these guys, you could do that. It's all available on our Spotify playlist. All right, take a quick break. When we come back, we will get into rounds four, five, six, and seven at the outfield position here on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. 
That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today, our Outfield Preview 2.0 Part 1. We are back. Rounds 4 and 5. Kettle Marte, 40.4. Kettle Marte, sorry. 40.4. Austin Meadows, 41.2. George Springer, 41.6. Three players that are separated by 1.5 picks. Chris Bryant, 45. Whit Merrifield, 47.4. Aaron Judge is now in the fifth round, 49.8. And Eloy Jimenez rounding out this group towards the end of round five, 58.4. Scott, I just want to give you the floor to remind everybody why you like Cattell Marte as much as you do. You are basically the poster child of trusting breakouts from last year. And I, I don't want to say mid-career breakout because Cattell Marte is still young, but there are a lot right. of people who are skeptical. Why aren't you when it comes to Marte? Yeah, I guess maybe surprising breakouts. Um. Because if you look at what he did in the last four months of 2018, I mean, he had a near 900 OPS for basically the final two-thirds of 2018. I know a lot of people were on him as like a sleeper heading into last year. And then if you break down last season, like the first half, it's like, okay, Cattell Marte has to get worse. This is obviously too good to be true. And then the second half, he got actually even better. So you look at the four-month stretch from 2018 – the first half of 2019, the second half of 2019, Cattell Marte just kept getting better and better. And, you know, I do think he probably overachieved to some small degree last year. The, the expected stats would suggest so, but like it, it also suggests he's a stud, even if he wasn't quite as good as last year. And when you have, like in my mind, he was far and away the best second baseman last year. Like it's such a weak position. Um, I know we're talking about outfielders here, but uh, you're drafting him for second base most likely and then just shifting him to the outfield if the opportunity presents itself because like getting that kind of like he's the one second base eligible player who I feel like could um, you know be deserving of a second round pick, you know 918 OPS in the first half for Cattell Marte last year, a, an OPS of 1081. In the second half, you mentioned that he just continued to get better. Chris, who do you think has the most upside in this group? Marte, Meadows, George Springer, Chris Bryant, Merrifield, Aaron Judge, and Eloy Jimenez. Who has the most upside? I mean, I guess it's probably got to be Aaron Judge, right? I mean, we've seen him be, you know, one of the three or four best players in fantasy now. You know, we've had two seasons in a row where he's failed to match that. And I think, um, you know, he's more the player that he was has been the last two seasons than he was during that breakout in 2017. But uh, given his power, you know, given the fact that he's one of the few guys with legitimate 50 homer potential uh, without, you know, especially that he won't kill your batting average like some of the other guys will, I think Aaron Judge probably has the most upside here. Chris, what if I told you that in the head-to-head points mock that we did last week, you weren't actually in this, Aaron Judge went off the board at pick 94 to Adam Azer. I did listen to Friday's podcast, and that is, I mean. That's a little egregious. 
it's ridiculous on its face. Like that's, that's the kind of thing where it's just like, it's not even like a, well, you're less worried about injuries kind of thing. Like I, I certainly am less worried about injuries, but there's no risk in taking Aaron judge at 90. Like that, that all the risk is gone and it's just upside. Like if Aaron judge doesn't play at all in 2019, in 2020, uh, and you take him 94th overall, you know, the last pick of the eighth round in a 12 team or a, you know, a seventh round pick in a, 15 team that's you've taken all the risk out like it's not going to hurt your team like it will hurt your team sure but your your ninth round your eighth round picks are probably going to bust pretty regularly i i've been i've been pretty scared of his injury uh, by way of reminder it's a stress fracture in his rib which dates back to last fall and like he just needs to keep it immobile for it to heal and he kind of re-aggravated in february and like it just you know if it doesn't work out this time you're probably talking surgery but like the yankees themselves are sounding more confident in aaron judge's return than in giancarlo stan's return when stan just had a calf strain you know grade one calf strain um so yeah i i want to get aaron judge at a value i don't want to have to pay face value for him given my concern of concerns over his risk but 94th overall i mean that's that's like, it's a dream if you get him there. Scott, in the same draft that we did, George Springer went in the third round, and he's a great player for points leagues. Just so much volume, leads off for one of the best lineups in baseball. He has good play discipline. He averaged 4.1 fantasy points per game last year, which was top five. He was a top five overall hitter in terms of per game production. I question how much of last year was real, Scott, when it comes to George Springer. Was he helped out by the juice ball? He really was on pace to do things that he had never done before. He was on a 47 home run pace. And then I got Austin Meadows three rounds later in the same draft, in the sixth round. And this is something I've talked about too. Like I just don't understand why Austin Meadows does not get more respect than he does. In my opinion, based on ADP, these guys are going back-to-back. I feel like they should be going closer than they actually are you know, why are there drafts where Austin Meadows is going two or even three rounds later than George Springer? I do rank Springer ahead. I rank him four spots ahead among outfielders, at least in Roto. I don't know if, like, I, I have Meadows ahead of Judge. I, I don't see that as a huge gap. Um, you know, that's probably going one round apart, given how frequently outfielders go off the board in this range. So, yeah, I mean, if, if there's that big of a gap, I agree it doesn't deserve to be that big i'm i'm skeptical of what springer did last year because you know as a 30 year old 29 year old like you said he was doing things he had never done before and um i i had pretty much gotten to the point where he i I didn't feel like he made the kind of contact where he could be a very good source of batting average he had 292 last year um, he does make a lot of contact, but it, you know, it was kind of a Chris Bryant situation. Remember when we were talking about Chris Bryant and like, is this profile really studly? Um, and I was, I was at that same point with Springer and then he, he, uh, he greatly improved the profile. I'm skeptical of it, but you know, I think also if you're just talking about downside, uh, Springer's a lot more proven than Meadows and that has to factor into it too. So I do rank Springer ahead of Meadows. I agree with you. They shouldn't be that far apart. Chris, we've talked a lot about Eloy Jimenez the past couple of months, but I find it interesting that both he and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. are going back-to-back 
in ADP. They're basically going at pick 59 right on that turn, the fifth, sixth round. Who would you rather have between Eloy and Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I've drafted more of Vlad than Eloy. Eloy is another guy who I just haven't drafted all that much. It's an interesting uh, comparison, though, because I think Vlad has significantly more upside. Um, Why is that, though? Because, I mean, Eloy was regarded as a top prospect, too. I mean, not the same level as Vlad, but... That's the thing. Eloy was regarded as the second best prospect in baseball, but that's kind of highlighting how, you know, a ranked order can kind of mislead because the difference between how Vlad was viewed and how Eloy was viewed was pretty significant. That being said, Eloy was much better last season than Vlad was. And, you know, Vlad never had that stretch like Eloy did in the second half where he showed us what he's capable. I think the problem with Eloy Jimenez is it's, I think the power is going to be there. I have questions about the batting average and the plate discipline in general, just, it makes it a somewhat risky profile. And given that he was good, but not particularly great in 2019, you know, makes him a risky pick there. Um, You know, he did have good exit velocity numbers. He did have, uh, you know, a pretty good barrel rate. The one thing is when you look at like max exit velocity, when you look at barrel rate, um, you know, he was more in the, well, I guess barrel rate, he was actually pretty high. Sorry. I was reading that wrong. Um, in max exit velocity, he was like 46th. And that's usually one place when you're talking about power that it really, uh, you know, shows up. Like he didn't have any batted balls above 115 miles per hour. Vladimir Guerrero had eight. And so I think that highlights that Vladimir Guerrero is not a power hitting prospect. He's a hitting, like his calling card is going to be the bat overall, but he also showed more raw power than Elo Jimenez. And so that that's another place where I think the, the edge goes to Vlad, but it's also partially just the, like if Eloy Jimenez hits his, you know, 80th percentile outcome, it's probably still just like a lot of home runs and a decent batting average. And we've talked a lot about that this off season where it's, that's the easiest thing in the world to find right now in fantasy. Eli, you're the high guy on Eli Jimenez here. Right, Frank, you're you're the only one who's actually drafting him 61st overall, where he's yeah. going on average. Yeah, I'm so. drafting him quite consistently. I will. Say, I think he's better in roto, which is weird because he doesn't steal all that. Ma- he doesn't steal any bases. He's not going to steal. Right, but he doesn't really walk much, so that's going to hurt him in a points league a little bit. Just a six percent walk rate. But to me, I think I actually trust the hit tool more. I mean, this is something that was regarded as a plus tool for him throughout the minor leagues, and he was a 311 career hitter in the minors. So I think, you know, the ultimate upside for Eloy is becoming Nolan Arenado in the outfield, becoming a 290 to 300 hitter, a legit four category contributor, JD Martinez, someone like that. That's where I can see Eloy kind of settling in, in his prime. And it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. As early as this year. No reason to believe the prime is coming. It was, um, you know, for his final 46 games last year, he hit 321 with 13 home runs, 960 OPS. Otherwise, we wouldn't even be talking about him in this range. He still struck out 25% of the time during that rate, that that stretch. Uh, and and really, like if you I could buy the full season line, you know, obviously he had that huge finish that salvages rookie season. I could buy where he finished for the full season more than I could buy just projecting out that final 46 game stretch. But 
you know, what he, what he delivered for the season, 267 batting average, 31 homers, 828 OPS. In terms of head-to-head points per game, that put him between Oscar Mercado and Yasiel Puig, like not, not near the range of outfielders we're talking about. And I understand that's a points league uh, consideration, but then like Chris was saying for Roto Leagues, other than home runs, what are you confident in him doing? And I, I think he's going to contribute batting average. I think he's yeah, going to be like a that's like a, to that's kind of a leap of faith thing, right? Especially at sixty first overall. It is. I mean, it's I, and we talk about that a lot though with Vlad, where it's kind of just like that blind faith, trusting the prospect pedigree. You know, it's a substantial price tag because you got to take him on the five six turn. But I don't think it would be crazy if we're talking about Eloy as a second or third round player next year. I could see him doing what Carlos Santana last did last year, 281, 34, 110, 93. The runs may be a little bit lower. Um, the problem is it, it's, it, it does take a substantial – it does require a substantial step forward for him to get to even a batting average ceiling in, like, the 290 range. Um, and, like, it's not – again, it's not that I don't like him or don't trust the, the skill set or the pedigree. It's – it's more that I just like, are you, is that the point in the draft where that upside is really worth paying for? Like is, yeah. is, is his upside higher than Aaron judge? No. Is his upside higher than Josh bell who goes like 25 picks later? I don't, is, I, is I think his upside is. higher than Giancarlo Stanton's <laughs> like, I, I know I, that that's yeah. like a meme me bringing up Giancarlo Stanton, but like Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton's ADP is 14 spots behind. Yeah. Uh, right. Eloy Jimenez. I know we don't like Giancarlo Stanton, but like, give me Giancarlo Stanton every day over Eloy Jimenez, uh, you know, even with the health concerns. And so that's where like his, his upside's not higher than what Jorge Soler did last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Nick Castellanos has similar upside. And so that's for me where it comes out where I just, I don't know if that's the point in the draft where it's a hundred percent worth paying for that upside. And I do like Solaire quite a bit too, and we're about to get into those. The biggest issue for me is I'm just really wary of injuries, and I always have been, and, and maybe this is my, my, my fault as a fantasy player. My downside is that I kind of take injuries into account too much because I'm just so worried about Aaron Judge and Stanton, their ability to stay healthy, the fact that the Yankees have so much depth, especially in the outfield, that I don't like taking them at their current cost. Look, 94 for a judge if he lasts that long into the eighth round. Like, yeah, I can get behind that well, I mean, at that point. But, you know, fourth, fifth round where he was consistently going for a lot of draft season, it just seems like a big price to pay based on his injuries. And, and Stanton, I, I would bet 10 times out of 10, Eloy Jimenez has a higher batting average than John Carlos Stanton this year. <sighs> Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe like it's it's certainly possible. Stanton is going to be a high BABIP guy, but uh, or should be a high BABIP guy. One one thing I will point out, and this happens a lot with prospects when it comes to their injuries. Jorge Soler is actually another example of it. Uh, Jordan Alvarez, you know, when we discount guys for injuries because players in the major league impact hurt us when we're playing fantasy when they get hurt, we stick with that in our minds. But here's Eloy Jimenez's games played. Uh, as a professional and we won't go back to rookie year uh, rookie ball but 122 last season 108 in 2018 89 in 2017 112 in, in 2016 now there are fewer games available uh, in the minors but you're still talking about a guy who hasn't played a full uh, season's worth of games at any level yet 
that is fair. Uh, and maybe I just need to be burned by it before uh, I start to fade him myself. Let's get into round six and seven here. And we'll wrap up here uh, with this group. Joey Gallo mentioned earlier on did test positive as of today, Monday, July 6th for COVID. Giancarlo Stanton, 73.6. Tommy Pham also tested positive, 78.6. Victor Robles, 80.4. And Jorge Soler, 82.8. Scott, of this group, Gallo, Stanton, Pham, Robles, Solaire, who are you most likely to draft? I'm most likely to draft Solaire. And... Which is another one similar to Cattell Marte where, I mean, this is your MO this year, Scott. It's Look, if they broke out last year, you're, you're, you're buying the discount because if he comes yeah. anywhere close to what he did last year, then, then you are getting him at a discount. Yes. At his current ADP. Yes. Uh, Chris has talked about this a lot with injuries and uh, just like how sharp the fantasy baseball community as a whole has gotten with, you know, we, we just have so much data available to us and it's reliable and we all kind of uh, look to the same things that it's, it's hard to differentiate your opinion from the consensus uh, and to, to find these market inefficiencies. Chris chooses to target players perceived as injury prone. I choose to target players perceived as flukes because if, if the data backs it up, then the only reason we're downgrading them is just because we feel like we should know better. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He had, he had a huge season that's backed up by data, but he's not really that good. We know better. Right. And, and they, it, we, they we, I think we tend to downgrade them too much because of that. Um, so Solaire, 83rd overall for a guy who hit 50 home runs basically last year. I mean, that's that's stupid value. And uh, so he actually even got better in the second half. It is ironical that you brought up my injury approach. Is that a word? Ironical? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I said it, so it's a word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ironic probably would have worked there. I know, but I was I was being ironical. Oh, okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> 63 games, 109 games, 97 games, 105 games, 86 games, 75 games. Those were Jorge Soler's games played for every season of his professional career, going back to rookie ball, not counting rookie ball, before he miraculously played 162 games last season. And so this is, this is a good example of what I mean when I talk about you know, injuries being a potential uh, market inefficiency is, you know, Jorge Soler, a lot of his injuries have been sort of out of sight, out of mind. Like he wasn't all that good in, in 2017. So we don't really care that he didn't play that many games. 2018, you know, didn't really register for fantasy, like 820 OPS, but only played 61 games. And so a lot of the injuries that Jorge Soler has had, like last year was literally the first time he's ever stayed healthy for a full season. But a lot of those weren't when he was in our minds. And so nobody thinks of Jorge Soler as an injury-prone player. Um, and if you're talking about a guy who, you know, had basically been a fantasy non-entity uh, for, you know, his major league debut was back in 2014, had basically been a fantasy non-entity every season until this year. Uh, if that person also was being dinged for injuries, they certainly wouldn't be going 83rd overall. Uh, you know, we would be pretty skeptical of that. And instead he's being drafted kind of like there, like Scott said, there is that skepticism of what he did last season, but 
it's not exactly uh, like he's being drafted just behind Eugenio Suarez, basically. Eugenio Suarez is 74.8. He did the same thing Jorge Soler did last season, but he doesn't have the history of injuries that Jorge Soler does. I think I, I, think I actually have play. more confidence in Soler delivering that kind of power production again than I do Suarez. Yeah, the underlying numbers are far in the favor of Soler in terms of how hard he hits the ball, his exit velocities, his expected slugging percentage. Like, There's so many things that are in the favor of Soler versus Eugenio Suarez. Sure. Well, but what Eugenio Suarez has in his favor is he had been a good Major League Baseball player before 2019. Jorge Soler never had been. Sure. Uh, There's a reason nobody had Jorge Soler on their teams to start last season. He needed to hit 48 home runs to, to be fantasy relevant. And so I just, I think that kind of highlights the ways in which we inconsistency, inconsistently apply that injury prone label and the ways we inconsistently ding certain players for it. And that's why I think buying into a drunk Carlos Stanton, who's really, I knew it was going here. I knew it. It It always ends in Stanton. You can add like, He is the most obvious player, I think. But you can add, who's another player who's just kind of, well, he's really good, but he has injury. Bryce Harper has kind of been that guy over the last couple of years. I'm trying to think of an actual example that isn't Giancarlo Stanton, but he is the best example of that. Um, And so, you know, I think Joey Gallo is another case where we're just kind of ignoring the fact that he missed most of last season, the majority of last season with injuries. I won't draft Um, him either. Yeah, I, I, it hurt. It really pains me. I love Joey Gallo. I've been like the biggest Joey Gallo optimist on this podcast for years. Uh, and now it's just like the 70 games he had last season. We're like, yep, that's it. That's who Joey Gallo is now. <laughs> let me let me spin this another way for Jorge Soler, though, because I think particularly the version we saw in the second half last year. I mean, incredible hard contact. Uh, big drop in strikeout rate in the second half. Like the profile Jorge Soler showed in the second half last year was like Giancarlo Stanton during his 2017 MVP season when he already had that injury prone reputation. And, you know, the follow up from that 2017 MVP season for Stanton was to draft him in the first round. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting Jorge Soler in round eight or what is it, round seven technically, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just don't. I, I just don't see how you could see that as anything less than a, that's than all, a value. I mean, that's relative. All, that's all fair. Yeah. I think it's crazy to have Jorge Soler ranked above Giancarlo Stan, like the both that you do. Chris, what if I, what if <laughs> I, I told you? Like, I think seriously. that's all a good argument for Jorge Soler, and I'm actually fine drafting him at this cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just compared like Jorge Soler's best two months to Giancarlo mm-hmm. Stan's best entire season. And if you list out, the best seasons for Jorge Soler and Giancarlo Stanton. Eight of the top nine are Giancarlo Stanton. They and all, he has the best one. They also have the same number of 40 home run seasons in their career. And yeah, what if I like, told you, Chris, what if I told you that Stanton is just not that good? Hold on. Give me a second uh, here. But, well, like that's, but that's not true. Because. You're gonna point to, no, but you're going to point to 2018, which was a down year for him. 
Well, it, he had two down years. I mean, how many excuses are we going to make for the guy? Because his MVP he season, he was an OPS year. over 1,000. Yeah. That was sandwiched by, he had an 815 OPS in 2016. Mm-hmm. He had an 852 OPS in 2018. So you're talking about two of his last three healthy seasons. He's been an 852 OPS mm-hmm. or worse in two of those. Last year, an 852 OPS was basically Max Kepler, Michael Conforto, Danny mm-hmm. Santana. I mean, that's what we're t- that was Stanton back in 2018 when he managed to stay healthy. The last time we saw him that season, he had a 29.9% strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. And I, he just can't hit, he cannot hit breaking pitches. I watch a lot of Yankee games. It looks like he swings with his eyes closed. It's, it's not just, a joke. Like, from 2014 to 2018, he had 214 or less against breaking balls. The one season where Marlins he was better fans. than that was the season he won the MVP. That's the outlier. That's a season, that's a thing Marlins fans have said forever about John Carlos Dan. <laughs> and like it may be true that he cannot hit breaking balls. Uh it doesn't matter. <laughs> like uh, like he's good. If he hits Whether 260 he hit with a 40 not, home like, run pace though, how much does that really move the needle? He hasn't been on a 40 home run pace? I mean the, the last time we saw him healthy in 2018, what do you have? He had less than 40 home runs. No, he had 38 in 158 games. 2016, he had 27 in 119. 2015, he had 27 in 174. He's been on a 40 home run pace pretty much every season. Yeah, but how much? I'm asking how much does that move the needle? I mean, his batting average is 266, 240, 265 in those three seasons. Um, I just think I, his MVP season is an outlier. and It definitely is an outlier, but Jorge Soler, like Jorge Soler's 2019 was an outlier for like a thousand different reasons and we're drafting him <laughs> over Giancarlo Stanton. Like that's, that's my only thing. Fine. Criticize Giancarlo Stanton for not being that good or for like, he is that good, but criticize him for like not being able to hit breaking balls or, but like when specifically comparing him to Jorge Soler, none of that is not true of Jorge Soler. Like we're comparing Jorge Soler's best season to Giancarlo Stanton's bad seasons Giancarlo Stanton's best season was clearly better than Jorge Soler's. Jorge Soler can't stay healthy. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton's in a better lineup. It's just weird saying part. that about a player who just played every game versus Stanton who played 18. I, I know it feels weird, but that doesn't make it any less true. It's true. And that's what I mean about injuries <laughs> is that what we are so scientifically minded about so much of fantasy baseball. Like we apply the scientific method for all like, you know, we're, we're testing FIP and everybody's trying to create a better version of FIP. And we're, you know, we've got all these ba- stat cast metrics that are rigorously tested and weighted against historical performance and all this stuff. And we use all that to inform our, our, our approach to fantasy baseball and injuries. We don't have anything like that. And so it's all gut and it's all feel and it's all this guy hurt me. That guy didn't hurt me. And that's my, my point is that Jorge Soler, when he got hurt, it didn't hurt us. And so we don't hold it against him. But he's gotten hurt every single year of his career before last year. Chris, I have the answer. Draft neither of them. <laughs> or draft Stan. Oh, man. All right. Well, I want to wrap it up there. We're going to have our you know preview part two tomorrow. We'll get into the rest of the outfielders. We really only got to 25-ish today. Uh, but we will get into more out- outfielders tomorrow. We'll have our sleepers, breakouts, and busts. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.